folks, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home game. And if you want to learn more about me and the rest of the crew, you can go to rec.poker slash crew. You'll be able to hear from them in a second yourself. But first, I want to thank our sponsors, Website Amp and the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino. I've got the best job in the world. I get to hang out here with this uh, revolving panel of recreational poker wizards and talk poker every week. So revolving panel of recreational poker wizards. Why don't you introduce yourselves to Rec Poker Nation? Well, I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter or 5x5 on Poker Stars. And I'm John Somsky. I'm Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I'm Keith Brandt, and I'm Monkey System everywhere. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Ratman 50 almost everywhere. Almost everywhere. He's, 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 he doesn't have the perfect suite of accounts anymore. We learned earlier. More on that behind the scenes later on Rec Poker After Dark. In the meantime, it's Monday night, so we're here. We're competing in the nightly uh, home game. It's free. It's uh, play money in the PokerStars client. We're stealing each other's chips. We're trying to win that bronze pin or maybe even that big boy silver pin uh, to go brag to all our friends about it. And uh, every night, we take a forum post from the Poker forums and talk about it here on the air. So it's completely free to come join the forums at Rec Poker. Uh, all it takes is an email address and a smile. And I'll encourage our folks, if you're listening along, um, A, you might want to start showing up uh, live on Monday nights as we do our chats podcast on our YouTube. We're broadcasting that live from now on. So you can come and get the scoop. Maybe some friends and guests will be handing out prizes and you can win live in the booth. Um, otherwise, the audio format will keep coming out every week, just like this one, the forums edition of the podcast. So this is a, fo- a forum post by our own Radman 50 and he's Radman 50 in the Rec Poker forums. So we got, he's got that going for him. So Rob, this is a spot. Um, we're going to look at it here and uh, talk about it. Let's look at some of the responses that people made, but as I say, do, I do encourage folks to go check this out. There's some good responses here from Eric Anderson and Elvita and a couple other forum slayers who have uploaded some documents and some images that might kind of help visually describe what they're getting at. So, uh, Rob, I hate getting three bet. I like to be the person putting the three bets out there. So I already am feeling uncomfortable by the first line of this. <laughs> hand. What um, what made you bring this one in? And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Well, I just wanted to, you know, um, talk about how we how we construct our pre-flop ranges and then how do we then respond when somebody you know does something like three bets us right so in this particular case i opened from under the gun plus one eight-handed table on acr i opened under the gun plus one to two and a half big blinds out of a hundred big blind stack um I get called by middle position, which is fine. You know, I'm good with that. And it folds around to the small blind who then uh, raises to seven big blinds. Now, this is a three bet, right? Um, and a couple of things that stand out. First of all, if I'm going to three bet here, I'm probably going to go to more like a nine or 10 because we have you know, we're going to go like three times the initial raise, but then we have a caller in between. So we're going to add another, you know, um, raise amount to that. So it'd be like 
uh, nine or 10. And uh, so it comes back around to me that everybody else folds. Um, it comes back around to me and I decided to call it for the couple of reasons. The first reason the three bet was pretty small. So it, to me, it indicates somebody who doesn't really um, take a lot, take a lot of time determining what their bet sizes should be in these situations. Now, normal, like I say, normally I would fold ACE 10 offsuit uh, to a three bet here, but then I looked at his stats and his stats are quite um, in, informative. It's 43, 25, 12, almost a hundred hands. So he's, VPIP in 43% of the time, and he's three betting 12% of the time. So that those are some pretty hefty stats. So what that means is that his three bet range could be pretty wide. So I went ahead and made the call. And then I got then I got stuck in this hand. It was just <laughs> um the other uh the middle position player also called. So now we're three ways to a flop, and the flop is four of clubs, seven of clubs, three of clubs, and I happen to have the ace of clubs in my Oh, hand. boy. Yeah. So now it's like, oh, my, where am I going? I can't go anywhere. I've, I've got the nut flush drop. Your handcuffs. Yeah. So uh, small blind comes out and bets um, pot. He bets pot. Um, so I ended up calling which is probably my first mistake. And then the turn comes the 10 of diamonds. So now I have top pair, top kicker, right? right. And enough plus draw. So I go, now where am I going? Um, so the small blind bets half pot and is all in. And of course I call with my, my wonderful hand. I mean, I got top pair, top kicker, flush, not flush draw. What else do you want? And uh, I get a jack of spades on the river which uh, doesn't do anything for me. And uh, he shows a pair of queens. So the reason I posted this is a couple of things. What, you know, I, this was early in the tournament and I, I really demolished my stack. Mm. I mean, I just totally went from over 100 big blinds to just down to almost nothing. And it's just like early in the tournament, should you be doing this? I mean... <laughs> Probably not. I mean, you should be playing a little tighter and not getting so rambunctious, I guess, with this thing. But I, I had it in my head that this guy's range was wide enough that I could make these plays. Well, and you said it, you said it really well uh, there, Rob. You're like, I've got this wonderful hand. I'm in this. I keep every street that comes. My hand gets better and better, you know, and it's like everything about the hand is great except for the action right and like you you're you said it like the they're telling you that they've got um a, that they think they have a strong hand but that doesn't necessarily yes. mean that they actually have a strong hand on a monotone flop like this um so so it's it's interesting because you kind of decided that because of the sizing they're not going to be on that level where you have to you know make certain assumptions about them but then it does kind of that kind of player big bets. It does feel like they're kind of like saying I have a really strong hand. So Rob, do you feel like they, 
uh, understood how like the spot that they were in. Do you think they were overplaying their queens here, or um, is it? I mean, I guess he's got the queen and clubs, right? So that also does make it a pretty uh, a pretty good hand for him as well. Yeah, I don't know. I think um, I just think that overall, I the the like I say, the main reason I did this is whether he played it wrong or whether I played it wrong post-flop, I'm thinking mm. more on the pre-flop decision I made. Great point. Because normally in any other situation, if I raise from middle position or under the gun, like I, you know, with an ace 10 offsuit, that's almost like a bluff raise, you know, because there's, it's not strong enough to continue against a three bet. So I would normally just fold that against a three bet. But then I looked at his stats and I'm, you know, I'm getting excited. You know, I, I want to play, uh, but I don't know. I just, I'm looking for uh, feedback from others to, uh, you know, how they would proceed. Now we did get a, 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 a response from Elvita. Um, and he was saying that what we might want to do is, is jam the flop. Um, you know, when he comes out and bets pot, at that point in time, why not just just jam it in? I mean, you got the nut flush draw. What are you waiting for? But my thought on that is, I have so many chips. I, you know, do do I want to jam a hundred big blinds in the middle with with a draw this early in the tournament? But as it turns out, I end up calling it. You know, all in anyway on the turn. So it's just I don't know. But that's a really I didn't take advantage point. of my fold equity. I guess. Yeah, that's a really good point. You feel like it's going in anyway. Uh, Keith, do you have something to jump in there? Yeah, uh, uh, the the pre-flop action, I I agree with totally, hundred percent. With stats like his, and the fact that we're going to be in position after the flop, uh, I would I would probably have done the same thing. Um, that wasn't what I was wondering about. The the one thing that I'm concerned about here is that pot size bet. Yeah, on the on the flop, you uh, with the effective stack sizes in SPR, we didn't really have the odds, even though it was to a nut flush draw. Did we have the odds to make that call? Chris, did you have something? Uh... I mean, I, so like, I think the, the, I mean, Keith, you raised a good question here and I, but I think the, I, you see this more and more, I think, especially, I think we're, probably thinking this player is a little either loose or inexperienced based on their bet sizing on the, uh, the three bet sizing on the pre-flop. And I see this a lot with players who I, I are, think are a little less experienced is like, they kind of go to that pot size bet, uh, in a in a three bet pot because they kind of just want to take it down. And I think they get a little bit overexcited sometimes. And I, I it doesn't necessarily mean, that you're beat, but you probably are with the hand you're holding a lot. You know, they have a lot of ace king, a lot. They'll probably do this pot size bet with some things like I bet you could even get a king queen suited showing up that you might be ahead of. But for the most part, you're you're kind of behind. Um, and one thing that I the only thing here, because like honestly, I I don't know, I don't know what you do with with the when you get when you get to this point, you've got position, you've got the nut flush draw. And it's a big bet, but I'm probably calling here too, um, because I can win a big pot against a uh, maybe a player who's who's tied to their hand at this point. 
Um, but I do think pre-flop, I, you know, I want to go back to the this thought about um, these hands that that we would normally throw away. And I agree with you. Like we want to have a, an exploitive reason to throw them away um, or to not throw them away. Um, and with those kinds of holdings, when I have uh, an opponent who I am deeming overly active, uh, I have an ace blocker um, and I have a very small three bet. This, I think, it becomes a really interesting candidate for a four bet um, because I think you're going to not go to um, you're almost for sure not going to go multi-way if you if you four bet it here as a bluff. If you get um, jammed on or something, it's a very easy fold and you don't. Uh, run into the problem of having a dominated ace uh, when an ace comes. There's a lot of problems that ace 10 is going to present. So uh, the the thing that I think, the only thing that I think is that I would probably either fold or four bet this pre-flop. But I think once we get post-flop, I'm, I'm, I'm probably, I'm losing all my chips too. I'm really curious about that point, Chris, because um, I think a lot about candidates to balance out a four bet range, like four betting and five betting. It's just, it's, it seems to be pretty value heavy in the games that I play. And so I'm always looking at ways to add some combos in there. They're maybe a little less value heavy, you know? Um, and they're typically going to be hands that have like an ace blocker in them, for instance, and, and a hand that I'd rather not just call and play. Um, what, and the what, really beautiful thing I think about, uh ace 10 in this situation is we think our opponent is wide but also if they're if they're not just really terrible like they should probably fold ace jack and probably ace queen off Mm -hmm. and those are some really really prime hands we would love to get rid of um or or so like i i kind of like this uh in this spot not all the time like this is not a like a slam dunk four bet but when we've got a multi-way hand and a player in the small blind who we're deeming wide uh, and we're pretty deep stacked, so we can we can actually make this four bet and then lose less if if we get jammed on than if we get into one of the situations like we just that that we do get into. Um, I don't know. That's yeah, just that's, my thought. Lo- losing less by raising more. Uh, by raising uh, on an earlier street is a point that I think a lot of recreational players need to take to heart Um, for the same reason that it's hard to bet fold. It's hard to raise fold because we're not used to having aggressive actions with the part of our range that we're not interested in continuing in the hand with. Um, But especially when it comes to things like blockers, uh, that's really important. So Chris, how do I, because I struggle with this sometimes. So let's say I'm in this spot and like, Ace six, eight seven, ace eight, ace nine. Those are also all good candidates in that way for this. So, like, how do I not just find myself over bluffing um, or having like a, a four bet range that's just got? It's like, well, I've, I've got an ace blocker, and like, is there something about ace ten in particular that makes it good, or is it just well, a frequency thing, or what? I'm not going to find myself with a lot of those hands because we're in early position this is oh, this point. is near good point yeah. near the bottom of my aces that That's i'm opening okay, um, yes. i might have some of the wheel aces suited wheel aces too here but i'm not yeah. going to have a seven very much uh-huh. at all uh-huh. yeah i don't great. think i would even open ace nine there 
you know, open ace 10 because we're, we're in Broadway territory. Right. And that's the bottom of my aces that I'm opening under the gun or under the gun one. I, I think I don't even open until I get to the button. I'm probably not opening an ace nine or an ace eight. Hmm. Hmm. I think that's a great point. So, yeah, so it's actually closer to the bottom of that range than than we were thinking. So that's that's thinking about the bottom of ranges. Before we started recording, we talked a bit about the top of ranges, too. And uh, this is something that I think we're always kind of afraid of, but does happen from time to time. Rob, we're at a point where we see this spot that's really begging for a squeeze, right? And we think, oh, this guy should be squeezing with all sorts of stuff. His range for squeezing is actually really wide. Um but it still contains those hands at the real top of the range, right? Like we don't actually get, we can, we can estimate his range, but we can't say where his hand is distributed within that range. Um, so how do we, I mean, maybe it's kind of a silly question. Like, it's like, how do you play poker? But how do we kind of keep that in our mind as we, as we get into these spots? Because I feel like we're always looking at these places where there's contradictory information. Like Andrew Brokus says, you know, don't don't bet back into if you're in the condensed part of your range, don't be an aggressive player versus someone into their polarized range. And so, you know, if someone's three betting, I guess what we're saying is that this player isn't a polarized three better. So um, they're just a, a wide three better. So you can you're, you're not really those factors. Now, aren't it, much tension. Yeah, to be fair, I think I wouldn't have been surprised to see him flip give show ace king mm. here and have the same exact actions with the maybe with the king of clubs right i wouldn't be surprised to see that in these types of games so um it, uh, you know maybe i'm making excuses for why i called it all the way down yeah. but um you know and and really i think if if i didn't see the 10 on the turn right I don't know that I would have called the rest of those chips, even though it was, I was getting a, probably a really good price by then because I don't, it was oh, only yeah. half a pot that put him all in. I'm, I'm so his, his bet size, yeah. yeah, his bet sizing was a little weird because um, he bet full pot, which only left him after I called only left him half a pot remaining. So, yep. it, you know, the whole thing screamed you know the best sizing was wrong so what is he thinking and so i think a player like that could show up with ace king ace queen in in that situation so mm -hmm. well, there's a great response from eric anderson who just gets down to the meat and potatoes and says listen top pair top kicker wins a lot um you're getting 27% pot ads call half pot to win for, uh, yeah, to call test. You're getting extremely good odds. Um, and you've got 27% uh, equity even against that particular range. He says there's 24 Oh, against that particular hand. Uh, against that particular hand. This is hand, Poker yes. Tracker, which knows the hand. So they're good saying point. I have 27% against that hand. So what do I have against that range? Against yeah, the, a point. possible range is probably even more than that. It's probably oh, yeah. in the 30s. Having that ace of clubs helps um, clean up a lot of that equity for sure, because a lot of uh, a lot of a quarter of the rivers are just death to your opponent. So that helps no matter what their hand is, basically. Um, and then Eric uh, goes through a bunch of different combos here. 
uh, aces through jacks, ace king, ace queen. Um, and uh, he's got some other good questions here about how to calculate some of that stuff. So I encourage all our folks to go check that out. And another good response by Elvita, who I think we're going to be hearing more from. Elvita has uh, been posting more and more in the forums and uh, joining us in the show and in the instruction areas. So I'm looking forward to getting to know my man Joe a little better and uh, help helping all of us kind of learn learn poker. I I learned so much talking about this kind of stuff with you guys and with our premium members. It's a great uh, it's a great chance just to get together and talk poker with fun folks. Is there anything else on this hand that uh, people want us to talk about? It's a good example of uh, what we're what we're looking at when we get into these spots and the factors that we can consider when we're considering getting a little frisky ourselves. The only other just, thing, oh, go ahead, Keith. Uh, I think just talk, in general, uh, what happened here is uh, one of the benefits of aggressive play, like what this guy did. Mm. It gets people to play back at you when you do have the goods. Good point. Chris? Yeah, and I, I was just going to say, I think you'll you, if you play online, this feels like a very online hand to me, an early online hand. I think especially this is probably rebuy period. I think there's a lot of people who are just putting a ton of chips in the middle and, and you've you've got to mm. be prepared to to figure out how you're going to approach those kinds of spots because this is this i think this is a very common hundred big blind online hand we're in like a three or four hour reg period and people are just starting to get their you know they're they're just trying to build a stack here and 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 people i think stack size is sort of a little more meaningless in these kinds of not not meaningless but they're like meaningless to some players right they just Mm. are like I'm just getting this in or I'm going to rebuy and let's go. That's a good point. And um, I, you know, when I was learning poker, I really liked simple rules. I still do. So I'm, I'm one of those players that's likely to, to just like shove every nut flush combo that I encounter because it's fun to shove flush, uh, flush draws. And um, so when, when you, in, in, in these monochrome flops, though, sometimes I feel like that's kind of a different game. Do you guys have any thoughts on that generally when you get to this kind of spot? Do you have like a preferred way to play that nut flush draw? Because um, I, I, my gut tells me if I was in the spot, I'm putting them in on the flop and hoping for the best. It's you know, you guys being in like position. To think about things. You like to think about being, things and make rational decisions. Okay. Yeah. Being in position would, it changes a lot of how you would handle it. Um, if I was out of position, I probably would have check raised jam, you know. Um, if I would have checked to him as I, you know, if he would have three bet me from in position, I probably would have check raised jam there. But being in position, um, I felt like I could just I could play it more passively because because I was in position. Whereas I'd have to play it a little bit more aggressively if I was out of position. So and do you do you find that like by doing that, essentially what you're doing is you're kind of giving yourself a chance to fold, and you're giving your opponent a chance to get chips in with a wider range bluffing on a future street. Although I guess you remove the chance for them to call uh, that that shove that reshove if you were to do that. So how important is it? And last question for the group on this tonight. How important is it when you're thinking about position, whether you even want to have 
the ability to fold later in the hand or whether you just know you've got the kind of hand that you're going to be calling anything anyway you know what i mean how, how do you guys decide if it's important enough to be worth the trade-off on the fold equity that you'd get from shoving instead yeah it stumped me too i don't know I, I, I don't know <laughs> yeah chris I mean, I, I think I'm trying, like, I'm I'm somewhat following your question. How do we decide, uh, like, when we're just, like, we're basically never folding in position? Is that the question? Yeah, if there's a spot where you just, you know you're never folding in position. Like, in a spot like this, essentially, where the SPR is just going to be getting smaller and smaller, you're always going to have that flush draw, you know. Um, I'm not... Or maybe that's just not the right way of thinking about it. Like, if you should if you should always give yourself the option to fold in position, then obviously you just have to then plan on folding sometimes when those cards come or when that action. Right. Yeah. No. I think I think you should always be considering if you're continuing on in this hand with the you know like what am I going to do when uh, like if we continue on here right we're hoping to hit a club first of all. Um, uh, 10's kind of nice and ace is kind of nice. Um, probably our least favorite kinds of cards are kings and queens and jacks, probably, yeah. right? Yeah. So, like, I think we want to be thinking about what are what are we gonna do when those kinds of things happen? And 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 if if the answer is we're never folding, I mean that's fine, but uh we should we should be thinking about that when we make the call on the flop, I think. I think I think on the on the flop, um, my reasoning is that okay, I can call this, and a lot of times you call that person um, out of position is going to be checking a lot of turns. Mm. You know, uh, if he had a hand like Ace King, Ace Queen, that type of hand, he's probably checking the turn because he go, he wants to get a free card too. So. Two things happen. The turn's a 10, <laughs> right. and then he bet. So had the turn not been a 10 and he bet, I might have folded there. I would have saved myself 40 big blinds, right? Mm -hmm. About 38 big blinds. Yeah. So I think if the turn hadn't been a 10 and I saw that bet, I probably would have folded because now I'm not getting the odds anymore, and he's showing that me that he has a real hand. The fact that it came one of my cards that I was hoping to see uh, other than a club. Um, it kept me in the hand. And I guess yeah. that's a great point that if he doesn't bet, then you do get to check behind and see if that club comes and just kind of uh, mm -hmm. actually play the, play the draw that way. So I yeah. guess that's fun too. Yeah, Chris. There's very few, like, honestly, this, the hand from our opponent's perspective, this is, a, this is, a, I think another hint that this player is not, all that experienced i don't think this shove is a very good idea hmm. um we're we're the, this this exact hand that rob has is like the ideal candidate for us to get called by but other than that it's like we're beat or we're getting just snap folds pretty much i mean i can't think of too much here that's so I, I just I don't think this is a very wise move by our villain here. Well, they can uh, we won't name names, but it might be you folks head on over to Rec.Poker, get a free account. 
and start soaking up the knowledge from uh, the rest of the wrecking crew members over here. Um, well, I'd love to thank uh, John and Rob and Chris and Keith. Uh, of course, our sponsors, Website Amp and Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino, and Elvita, and Seven High Eleven, and uh, Eric Anderson, and you, the listeners. Thank you.